There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra. I've got a little bit of an apology to make. We didn't get any main show out for July. There are reasons for that. I have been extremely busy on another project, and John, just to say, life got in the way. So we're making up for it now by having the Sky Guide for August. And as you know, if we're having a Sky Guide, that means one person needs to be in on this conversation, and that is Ross Hockham. How are you doing, sir? Always well, always well. It's uh, always good to be here. Yeah, it's been an, an amazing time over the last few weeks. I mean, we've had some fairly goodish weather, which is good for the skies. Yeah, it's been quite clear. I actually got to see Mars without a telescope or binoculars, and in fact, my glasses. <laughs> which is a, it's a feat in itself. <laughs> yeah, because I can't see distance at all very well without my glasses and being able to see Mars or at the time what I thought was Mars which it definitely was because I, I checked into it <laughs> you're looking up in the probably in the southeast moon was high towards the right of it diagonally there was this orangey yellowy blob it's <laughs> the best way to describe it very bright and I thought that's got to be Mars so obviously I checked uh, an app and sure enough there was Mars there it was and I think I happened to be out that night as well yeah because I was out uh, looking at what we're going to talk about <laughs> a special special something that happened yeah but yeah yeah and I was I was admiring it myself because we were quite lucky you know, Jupiter was up Saturn was up Mars was up right by the moon and yeah, I mean, the month coming up is really good. You can see all the planets in one night, apparently. So I've got that ready for you. So you haven't got good eyesight, apparently, yet you can see something millions of miles away. Specsavers are doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> shows, shows you how bright it was. If, if you can see it without glasses, it does show you how bright that was. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise how bright. Well, I didn't, like six years ago when I started, how bright the actual planets are just up in the sky. So imagine what they were like in our ancestors' days when they named them and saw them and they must have been even brighter, yeah. And no light pollution. Yeah, no pollution at all, just the odd torch maybe or campfire. <laughs> A couple of days after that, I discovered an app. It alerts you when the ISS is in the sky and where to look for it, which direction it's heading, how long it's going to be in the sky for. And I thought, oh, I'll give that a go. So it said, oh, 10 minutes to the next one. And I thought, right, okay, get myself set up. I know, so I know exactly which direction to look. Looking at the countdown, it said, right, 30 seconds to it. It's in the area that you'll be able to see it. And then it counts up again to tell you how long it's got left for you to see. So I did what it told me to do and looked. And sure enough, there was something in the sky that was moving quite fast so the first thing you think of is it a plane so you look at it and there's no flashy light you know you get the little red light that's on a plane no red light next thing you think right normally you can hear a plane there was no sounds at all it's heading in the right direction that the app was telling me there's no sounds coming from it there's no flashy light Must it's got to be the space station or aliens 
Well, <laughs> if in doubt, it's always aliens. <laughs> I kind of think that from what I've seen on these so-called documentaries, that aliens only go to areas where people haven't got a great deal of intelligence. <laughs> so, I'm going to no comment on that one. <laughs> But no, yeah, there's loads of cool apps out there now. And like, as you said, got it absolutely spot on and helped you actually go. Because I get notifications on mine, pops up and it goes, the ISS is on its way. The ISS is rising now. And you're like, what? And you stop everything you're doing and run outside. Even though I've seen it hundreds of times, it's just still awesome to see it just going across the sky. And like how bright it is. It's really, really bright. And the speed as well. This one does that too, you know, an alert to tell you it's going to be in the next 15 minutes, 20 yeah. minutes or whatever. But the only problem I've got with that is because I've got a lot of rocket launch apps as well, <laughs> um, it's forever going ping because there's always a rocket time. launch going somewhere. <laughs> but so I think some of the, uh, the SpaceX ones, people, I haven't actually myself seen any yet, but I've seen in the group that people quite often post that there's a rocket launch happening and it's going to fly over the UK and it can actually be seen. Yeah. But I've always either been at work or it's been cloudy or something, so I haven't actually yet seen one. But that would be cool to see. Cause they say you can actually see the uh, docking capsule and that going towards the ISS, chasing behind it. Yeah. So that's something else on the, on the bucket list to see. There's been a, quite a few rocket launches lately, and, and a lot of them have been Chinese. Yeah. And we've also had the United Arab Emirates spacecraft, shall we say. Although the majority of it was built in America and it was launched from Japan, but it was still yeah. their spacecraft. <laughs> as, with, as with a lot of things. But it's been really good for the Emirates, to be honest with me, because they've now started up these different programs for budding engineers and scientists and things. And because of this launch, it's encouraged young people to get involved. So all in all, that's a good result. Yeah, why not? So we're all, all up for that on this podcast. Yeah, anything that gets people into science and stuff, why not? I love it. The one thing I wanted to mention was that one of our honorary crew members and one of the UK astronomy volunteers, Janelle Harriel Wilson, has been on the radio again. Yeah, there's no stopping her now, is there? <laughs> it's been on once and that's it. <laughs> So she was back on BBC Three Counties and she was talking to Robert Peroni on um, the 14th of July and she was discussing with him about this new, well, star sign. Or oh, it's not new, it's, it's been around for a while. Forgotten. Forgotten. Let's say yeah. forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a fucus. And uh, here's a little extract of what she had to say. Janelle Wilson is a NASA Solar System Ambassador from Buckinghamshire. Janelle, very good afternoon to you. Hello, how are you? I'm well, I'm confused why well, we now have a 13th star sign, to be honest though. Where's it come <laughs> yes. from? Well, I mean, it's always been there. So the, the constellations that we see in the sky haven't changed and it's been around for thousands of years. What, what does change is the way that the, the Earth rotates and, and the fact that it wobbles a bit on its axis when it rotates. And so where Opiuchus is in the sky and crossing the plane of the ecliptic happens a bit more now than it did when the Babylonians first came up with the 12 signs of the zodiac. She goes into a bit more detail in the full interview, but I didn't really want to play the whole thing in because it's not our interview. <laughs> but I will put a link in the show notes for the full interview so you can have a listen. Um, if you think about it, there could be a lot more than 13. Depends what time and where and what's going on with the Earth. <laughs> 
So where is it? Was it was it in between? Do we know? A fucus is between November the 29th and December the 27th mm. and it's nestled between Scorpio and Sagittarius yeah, so they're going to be pushed apart somewhere then yeah as, as Janelle said think the, the earth has moved and it does wobble and things like that and actually the sky does kind of move a little bit it takes like thousands of years but like the North Star won't always be the North Star and things like that so they reckon those star signs have actually moved on a few days either side as to when they are invented so you might not be who you are or who they say you are should i say <laughs> i know my star sign apparently has changed mm -hmm. but apparently now i've gone from a gemini to a taurus now do you reckon all the astrologers are going to come out now and say you're going to see great change in your life <laughs> because you have now changed to something else See, I don't, I don't mind the zodiacs and all that sort of stuff. And I don't even mind astrology as much as a lot of astronomers absolutely hate it. I'm like, in the end of the day, it's, it's human culture, isn't it? And there's history behind it. And Star signs have always been there to help people find things as well. Yeah, signposts. So I, I find it quite interesting, but I don't, I don't put any merit on it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but if you want to know about Fucus anyway, it's a large constellation that is straddling the celestial equator. It can be found northwest of the centre of the Milky Way and is situated nearer other constellations, including Quilia. I know Quilia. Yeah. Serpens, mm -hmm. Hercules, and Orion. Well, Hercules and Orion are easy to see. Orion very easily to see. So. so, in theory, you should be able to see this one quite clearly if it's near to Orion. So. Yeah, I'll have to get out and have a look. I probably won't tell people about it, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no reason why you shouldn't, because it's always been there and it's part of the star chart, so um, well, why not? I know Janelle well, and if Janelle says it's there, it's there. So <laughs> <laughs> She's a NASA solar system ambassador. I'm just a guy of a telescope. <laughs> See, there's always something going on. There's always something new. I love it. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to go into the main part of the show, which includes the Sky Guide. Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks thanks to innovations happening today. NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and Space Launch System rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the Red Planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more and what is in sight, behold, the star glows bright white. 
But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal Extra. Now, there's been some spectacular in the skies recently, Ross. There has, and it completely came out of nowhere. There were a couple of comets you might have heard about. They were meant to put on a show, people were talking about them. One was called uh, Atlas, I believe, a few months ago, which was meant to be nice and bright and we weren't to be able to see it. I reckon they, they thought it might be binocular, maybe naked eye. But unfortunately, just as it started brightening, it disintegrated because the sun heated it up and it kind of burnt away. And it just kind of disintegrated and turned to, well, probably water vapour because it's made of ice and stuff going around the sun. So that didn't happen. Then they were going, it's all right, there's another one called Swan. Swan's going to be great. Swan's following up on it. There'll be another comet we can see. From what I saw of it, it didn't seem to really get bright enough. So it was one you could see, but nothing to, you know, get everyone talking. And then suddenly, just out of nowhere, Comet Neowise just stole the show. Yeah. It's a long period comet. It was discovered only sort of March 27th, I believe, which at the time it was a very faint object. But by July, bringing us out of lockdown was this comet. As soon as like, yeah, you can start going out now. This comet just appeared. It had literally just completely stolen the show and turned into a naked eye object. Uh, it was meant to be its brightest as the 23rd. Because it's moving to Earth, it's actually moving further away from the sun. So it's actually now started dimming. And by the beginning of August, when the show goes out, we probably won't be able to see it unless you've got a telescope. You probably will. I thought it was a fantastic sight. I've never seen it since, like, what, Hailbot? That was the one before that that was next best one so I remember that as a kid going out with my dad and just having a look at this one that was kind of like out, from what I recall of it, it was, you could see it like it was going sideways wasn't it it was kind of going across like a diagonal now I'm showing my age now because I can remember Halley's Comet yep which was an 86 yes I believe I read that today someone said uh, they saw it in 86 I don't remember it because I was what four <laughs> <laughs> I said to myself I need to live to 76 because that's when it comes back because I wanted to see a comet in the sky with a tail like that because I've seen comets before but they're usually just for a telescope or binoculars and they're just kind of like a fuzzy blob as opposed to an actual real long tail that you can see in the sky and now I'm thinking brilliant I don't have to live that long now <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to have this goal now I've seen one if you've seen the pictures I'm not sure if you if you have you can't really miss the pictures we've got it just bombarded the Facebook group <laughs> there's thousands of them oh absolutely tons and yeah it's fantastic it's got like a really bright tail heading almost like upwards people weren't expecting that they were expecting it to be going almost like a cross but the tail was going straight up almost slightly to the right from what I saw and yeah, if you haven't seen it, join the Facebook group, UK Astronomy. The pictures are all over it. There's some fantastic pictures. So much so that I actually had to change <laughs> our photo competition of the month to comets because we did have, what was it? I think it was space selfies where people go out and take pictures of themselves with like road signs or beers and things like that that they've seen that are space related. And we literally only had it up a few days. No one had actually entered yet. And then this happened and I thought, Oh, this is this is too good an opportunity to pass up. I, we're going to have to make it comets. And some people have actually got a secondary tail because there's one where like the sun is heating it up and making one tail go one way, but then the direction of travel then makes this other tail. That's the bigger tail that you can see. So it's really really cool. I couldn't actually see the second tail, 
But don't know if I mentioned in the last podcast, I might have to mark, maybe offline, but uh, our charity recently purchased a, uh, a Nikon, a D3500, which is a camera, DSLR, because I wanted to learn astrophotography because we get a lot of people in the group asking how to take pictures with their cameras. And I thought, well, let's get one for the charity and then I can learn from people. And we're lucky that we've got Will Chung in the group. He's brilliant. And I've got a good friend of mine, Mr. Pickles, as well, both very good astrophotographers, so they can teach me things about it. And bless him, thanks to Will... He actually gave me all the settings I needed and told me what they do and how to do it online. And then I went out and met up with my friend, Mr. Pickles. I wasn't originally going to go out and meet with my friend. I was just going to go out on my own. But I put it into our volunteers group that we've got, because all the astronomers that come and help us at our events. And Mr. Pickles is like, oh, I'm going to a disused airfield. Do you want to come along? 40 minutes away. I thought, you know what? 40 minutes, that's not long if I'm going to see it and maybe get a picture of a comet. (laughs) So I went for it, set up the cameras got it all going and I put all Will's settings onto the camera, clicked the button, waited a few seconds, bang, had it in live view so I could see what I was doing to try and focus it. There it was, first picture I'd ever taken with a camera of the night sky and the comet was in it. Thank (laughs) you, Will. (laughs) I'm not going to say it's my skill, it's definitely Will's skill there. So yeah, me and Miss Pickles were out all night. To see the comet, I I had to take my uh, 10-inch Dobsonian because I thought, if I'm going to go and see this, I need to see it through a telescope as well. So we spent all night taking pictures. We were out from about 1.30am when uh, it was at its best. It started rising up in the sky till 5am. Uh, we had a coffee in hand. We had a good chat, taking pictures, looking at it through the telescope. You know, like for me, I've seen Jupiter and Saturn like numerous times now. They're still cool to see, but I don't get that. You know, it's like you go on a fairground ride, don't you? That first ride is the best one because it's like, oh, wow, whoa, you're going it again. It's still good, but it's not as good as the first one. So this night just gave me that real buzz back of actually going out and seeing this stuff. So if you can go out and see it, I will give Mark some pictures and notes to show where you can go and see it because you can still see it with binoculars and a telescope. Do it. The strange thing is I actually used your photograph because I'm part of a local group. Not mm-hmm. astronomy, it's just a local group. One of the people in the group was going, something is happening now. They knew nothing about the comet. Yep. And there's, and there's something in the sky, it's hanging there a bit, it's got what looks like a beam coming from it. <laughs> and what is it? What is it? And obviously you've got the old, the old people that were going, aliens, you know, yep. that kind of thing. But um, <laughs> one person said, it's possibly the comet, but... I was under the impression that you could only see it in the southwest mm-hmm. of the country. And I came back on and said, look, you can see it all over the country. You just be, need to be looking in the northeast direction. Yep. And my colleagues at UK Astronomy, they have captured it. I said, this was taken. I, I said Milton Keynes. but mm-hmm. That's near enough. <laughs> so um, then people went out and started looking at it. Mm-hmm. Now, what I wanted to say was Neowise is a, is a really strange name for a comet. And the reason why it's called Neowise, it was named after a spacecraft. Ah, only you would know this. <laughs> it was named after a spacecraft which was tasked with looking for near-Earth objects, which comets are near-Earth objects, mm-hmm. if they come near-Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's called Neowise because Neo, N-E-O, Near Earth Object, Wise, Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, Neowise. Yeah, and there's, I thought it was named after someone called Neo who was wise. <laughs> that shows my, my intelligence. <laughs> it's defunct, so it's now 
this space junk. It's floating around. Yep. But it was finding comets. It was finding asteroids. It took over 2.5 million infrared images wow. in its lifetime. It was an amazing piece of kit because it was NASA that actually discovered it that they would name it after this spacecraft. Excellent. And now it's going to go down in history because well, people say there's only maybe four comets like this in a lifetime. It's not going to be seen again for something like 6,766 years. How different is our world going to be when it returns? So that comet that I've seen there, when it comes back and we see it again, it's going to be completely different on this planet. I mean, maybe we'll be up actually riding it. <laughs> We're going in spaceships following it. How different has our world changed in seven months? Oh, yeah. The beginning of the year to now. So anything yeah. can happen in that amount of time. Everything as for the last month or so, or at least the last two weeks, has, has been about this comet, really. It was Starlink before that. Everyone was excited about that through the lockdown. And then it turned into the International Space Station. Then they managed to get them out to see planets and things. And now this comet's arrived. You're just like, oh, if only it had been maybe a month or two ago. Because that would have been when everyone's stuck in. It'd been a real, but then again, they might not have been able to see it if they're stuck in because it was quite low on the horizon. You did have to kind of go up and have a look, and, unless you're crazy yeah, you like me, to go out. And yeah, went out at like one thirty <laughs> in the morning. Uh, and like I said to you, it wasn't possible to see it from where I am because my balcony is facing in completely opposite direction and i would have had to have knocked on one of my neighbor's doors and say can i go out and have a look on your balcony because <laughs> their balconies face on the other direction yeah or go out on the precinct out the front of where i live which is not a great thing to do with a pair of binoculars and a camera um <laughs> stood out there on a precinct that's got cctv at stupid o'clock in the morning yeah and then wonder why the police have turned up. Yeah, you might get a knock at the door. That's, that's why us astronomers tend to go to <laughs> nice, quiet, dark places. <laughs> They're good for the sky, but also good for not getting told off. But i tell you what I have noticed since I've been looking at stuff in the sky recently, that one of the main offshoot roads from where I live, they actually turn the lighting off at certain times. Yeah, there's some places do that. I wish they'd do it here. I mean, like my friend, luckily, he only lives down the road. He's in a flat. And he had the balcony that actually faced it, and he managed to get it just on his phone. So there's been loads of pictures of it taken just by the phone, so even the phone picked it up. So imagine if they turned the lights off as well in Milton Keynes. It'd be awesome. So it does get a bit dimmer here, so that's that's pretty cool. That's wicked. That'll be brilliant for the next bit that I was about to talk about, because it's August, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. There's only one thing in August, and it's the Persid Meteor Shower. I'm surprised the papers haven't jumped on it yet, but to be honest, I think the BBC One show only just spoke about the comet yesterday from what I saw, so they've mentioned it after it's been at its best and it's starting to dim. So <laughs> hopefully some people still get to see it. But yeah, so the Persid Meteor Shower, this is the thing that everyone will talk about and everyone loves, and it'll be over all the papers and they probably exaggerate it as they do and say you know the world's going to end it comes from a comet as we know so meteors are shooting stars they happen every night but a shower is a special event where the amount you can see just it increases dramatically depending on which one it is we have them yearly and all through the year there's minor ones major ones all sorts of things going on and this month's Perseus is, is one of the best ones the next one will be in December time and there's another one in January as well, but not many people go out and see that because they're usually hungover. We all know why, especially now pubs are starting to open again. 
But yeah, it'd be good for you if the lights turn off, you can see all the shooting stars. So to understand why we get these sort of things, you start looking at a comet like Neowise. As I said, there's a, a massive stream coming off of it. That's what we saw, a big tail. Uh, this one's from a particular comet called Swift Tuttle, which named after two guys that discovered it, because I don't think NASA was about in their day. It's like the 1800s, I believe. If you find something in space, generally you get to name it. So Neowise, NASA, Swift and Tuttle, Mr. Swift and Mr. Tuttle. The comet is a huge snowball that pretty much orbits the sun. Uh, this one's been going around for hundreds, probably thousands of years. Like Neowise, that's like whatever, 6,700 years it comes around, and that would leave a dust trail. And maybe one day if we move in orbits, maybe we'll go through it. Heats up as it nears the sun, like Neowise did, leaves a nice trail of dust and ice. And periodically Earth moves through these immense dust trails or lanes left by the comets, and sometimes asteroids do it as we orbit. And when we pass through one, all these tiny hundreds of pieces of comet dust into our atmosphere at awesome speed, technically burning up in the atmosphere, creating like a streak of light across our skies. So it's really cool to see, uh, especially the Perseids, because they've been known to create the odd fireball where larger pieces literally like pop across the sky, leaving a smoke trail, which I've seen a couple of and a big one that lit everything up green. Stunning. There was one the other night. Someone was chatting about it in the Facebook group. They said that uh, they were out looking at the comet and then they saw this big fireball go across the sky. So, oh, if only he had his camera running. He would have got both. <laughs> both in one shot would have been amazing. So I think he probably kicked himself for that one. So how do we see them? Well, the beauty of this event is you don't need any equipment whatsoever. You just grab a coffee or a hot drink, grab the kids or, or your partner, go out into the garden or a nice dark field, which would be best for you, and look up. So the peak of the shower happens in the middle of August, usually sort of 12th, 13th, but we did enter the dust stream in July, so we're not going to leave it until like the end of August. So it's a big, really huge dust stream that we're going through. The shower of meteorites slowly will start building up from now onwards. So it'll build up all night to its peak and then slowly dwindle back to normality as we come out of it again. Fixed events like the Perseids are named due to their location in the sky, where the meteors kind of radiate from. The Perseids are named because they come from the constellation Perseus. If you look at the constellation Perseus, it comes from around the uh, ancient hero's sort of head area. Perseus rises around about, pretty much as the sun sets, it will be up, 10 o'clock onwards to the northeast. Now, if you don't have a compass handy, put your left arm out towards the setting sun, put your right arm straight out the opposite side, bring them both together and in front of you, you should pretty much have it. If you look slightly up to the right, you should see a kind of slightly off diagonal W in the sky. That's Cassiopeia, the vain queen. Perseus is just below this because there's a whole story in the sky about Cassiopeia, Perseus and all these things. As the night goes on, Perseus rises. So it is going to get better and better and better. You've got a better chance to see the meteors the later it gets. Also, the sun sets, so it gets darker and darker. They do say it's probably best around 2 a.m. So set an alarm and get a hot drink. But just go out any time and have a look because there's always bits and bobs flying around. So what can you actually expect to see as opposed to what the newspapers will say? Well, every year they predict there's about 100 to 120 an hour, but you're never gonna see this amount, I'm sorry to say. That is probably in absolutely perfect conditions, which we don't have here on Earth. You know, we have humidity, clouds, planes. The moon isn't going to be too bad this year. It is at sort of like a crescent and rises around 2am on its peak night. But personally, I've laid on a field with my wife and counted. That sounds a bit dodgy, actually. <laughs> I have, you might have to yeah, rephrase that. I have sat in a field next to my wife looking up at the sky. <laughs> uh, we had a hot coffee and got fish and chips and it was quite nice, actually. But apart from we had two Boston Terriers with us, which uh, fish and chips on the floor and a coffee and two Boston Terriers in a league tends to end in mayhem. 
we saw about 67 in around about an hour and a half. So that's pretty good going. I saw other people said they saw around 70 or 80. So that's a good amount. I would say 50 is probably the uh, you know the average that you'll see if you've got decent skies. It's unpredictable. It's a dust lane and no one can predict where the bits of dust are and how dense the areas are that we're going through. So you never know. And as I always say, while you're sat there looking up, if you've seen the comet, you're now seeing bits of comet entering the atmosphere and burning up as our planet flies through this dust stream. So it is pretty cool. You might see a larger bit that make a stunning display across the sky and you'll remember that forever because I still remember the one I saw and I'll, I'll never forget it. So fingers crossed for you all that it's all clear and it'll be a good night. I mean, you've got the whole of August to go out and have a look. to mention this we have picked up our mobile observatory which is the van that's got all the kit in it it's all wrapped it's all done it's all good to go all i've got to do now is go out with it and tinker with it play around figure out what more we need what to add what to do so i'm going to be going out with this van and doing stuff so keep an eye on the facebook group because i will be doing stargazing nights where the van's going to be there you can come along and look through telescopes because while you're up there looking at the meteor shower you've got saturn and jupiter will be up it's an easy spot at the moment just grab a pair of binoculars or a telescope if you've got one. You'll see Jupiter's four main moons. You'll see Saturn's rings, even with a small telescope or a steady-handed binoculars. Definitely. Mars as well is still up. And if Mark can see it, you can see it easily. <laughs> and then later on, maybe Venus, <laughs> if you get overexcited and uh, stay up till the morning, the early hours. We'll have guides on our website, www.ukastronomy.org. Facebook page. Mark always puts stuff up on his notes and things where this is uh, posted. So you'll be able to see all the soon to be upcoming events, hopefully, and everything that's going on in the sky. Let's actually quickly now just breeze through what else there is in the month that we can see. So it is possible at the moment to be able to see all seven planets in one night this month. Mercury is hard to spot. It's rising just before the sun in the morning, but it's very, very low down and it's starting to move back towards the sun in the sky. So it's only really going to be able to be spotted at the beginning of the month and it's very low. But as I say, be very careful when you're looking near the sun. If in doubt, don't do it because we don't want you to hurt your eyes in the sun or go blind or anything like that. But it is there. Check on your apps and stuff. You might be able to see it. Venus is rising around 2 a.m. to sort of the east. It's going to be the brightest thing in the morning sky. Me and Mr. Pickles saw it the other night rising after looking at the comet. Can't miss it. It's really cool. Mars is around about 11 o'clock or night. As Mark said, you'll see like a red blob. It's not right next to Jupiter and Saturn, but if you look, go to the left of where Jupiter and Saturn are, you'll see a red blob there and that's where Mars is. Saturn and Jupiter, as I said, easy spots this month. As the sun sets, both of them will be right up there. You have two white blobs next to each other. The one on the right will be slightly bigger. That's Jupiter, and on the left is slightly dimmer, that's Saturn. A lot of people have been asking us what they are in the sky. Easy to see. Now, Uranus is just left of Mars, below the star Hamel, I believe, in the constellation Aries, but you will need a telescope to see it, but it is there, and if you find Mars, you'll know that it's there. Get an app like Stellarium or a Sky Safari, something like that, it'll show you exactly where it is. 
Neptune, the last one, is harder to find because it's not really near anything. So it's in the middle of kind of two constellations, Aquarius and Pisces. So you're probably going to have to do a bit of star hopping to try and find it. But it is there, so you've got the opportunity through the whole night, if you stay up till the morning, to see every single planet, including Pluto, which is technically not a planet as such, but, you know, it's a planet. It's literally in between Jupiter and Saturn, Pluto is, at the beginning of the month. So they're not at opposition. Jupiter and Saturn are just coming out of their best phase to be seen, but doesn't really make a lot of difference, to be fair, at the moment where they are. Pluto might be hard to see, white dot in amongst all the stars. The next night it would have moved a bit and then moved a bit again. But if you can, if you've got a telescope, why not? Go go planet hunting, it's all cool. So on to actual dates then. On the 3rd of August, Mars is at its closest point to the Sun, which raises the chance of dust storms on the planet. So sometimes these dust storms can cover kind of like half the planet. They say that the Sun kind of interacts with the atmosphere and it actually kicks up all the dust and wind and starts making it happen. So it rises, as I said, it's kind of to the east at around 11 o'clock. So if you are looking at Mars, we're not at the best point to see it, but it's, you can see detail on it from what I can see. People are taking pictures of and they're pretty good. If you can't see anything, it may be not your telescope. It might be the fact that it has got a dust storm all over it because it's happened to me before. So yeah, go and have a look at a dust storm on another planet. On the 4th, look out for the full moon. That you can't really miss. It'll be huge. It's going to be rising just before 10pm on the horizon. Always a cool thing to take a picture of or to go and take the kids out to see. It's just fun. Uh, on the 7th, take a look at Jupiter. Hopefully you should know where it is now because you've been out looking. Just as the sun sets, you'll spot a uh, moon called Ganymede. will be passing across the planet in front of it from about 10.40pm to around midnight. So you've got a couple of hours there to try and have a look. The moon will be in front of the planet going across it. So you'll probably need a moderate telescope to see it, but I'm gonna have a peek hopefully, all these dates I wanna get out now with the van and see things. So I might go out and have a look, maybe even take a picture if I'm lucky. On the night, it's back to Mars, and Mars isn't gonna be far from a sort of 73% lit moon, rising at around 11 o'clock again. It's a great signpost to find the red planet if you couldn't find it earlier. The moon will be right there, right next to it, and you know, Mark saw it right next to the moon as well, so it's gonna be around the same sort of place. Really, really cool to see. The 10th tonight will be Europa's turn to transit Jupiter. So a different moon this time is going to go in front of Jupiter. It's around about 11 o'clock again to about 1.30 a.m. So you've got a little bit more time there to see it. On the 11th, the next night, you've got Callisto. But this time, instead of the moon going across Jupiter, it's actually the shadow. So that's a really good opportunity to see that and take a picture because people really enjoy that. Around about 7.45 to nearly midnight, the shadow is going to pass across the planet. Then we have the 12th and the 13th, the peak nights for the Perseus meteor shower. So if you are out looking and you do end up staying up quite a while, probably the best time to see Venus because it will be at its greatest western elongation in the morning. So it's going to be when it's best seen because this is the point where it's moved its furthest from the sun in our sky and it's going to start slowly sinking back towards the sun to then move around it and actually end up being a uh, evening object again. So it's around about 2am it rises, so you can go and see the goddess of beauty. The 15th in the morning, the thin crescent moon is just above Venus. So if you didn't see Venus, there'll be a really cool crescent moon near it. So hopefully you'll see the moon, see this big bright blob in the sky and think, ah, actually, that's what Ross is talking about, that must be Venus. The moon is also not far from a really nice cluster called M35. It's an open cluster of blue stars. It's in Gemini. It's just off one of the legs of one of the twins because Gemini is like two stick people, two brothers. And if you look in, you look at binoculars, you'll probably see it. 
but I think it's in the morning so the, the sun might be starting to rise a bit. If you can see it, there's also a cool little globular cluster within. So you can see the really new bright blue stars and then this old lot of globular cluster old stars sat there as well. So have a peek at binoculars, see if you can see it. If not, make a note of it and have a look later in the year when it rises more and it's darker. We've got the 18th. Uh, this is going to be a hard spot, but 90 minutes before sunrise, be very careful, as I always say, when looking near the sun, there will be the tiniest sliver of a 1% lit moon. Now, this looks really cool because as the sun's, it's kind of, you've got this like yellowy, orangey hue in the background of the, like the twilight and the sun rising. Then this sliver of a moon, it almost looks like something out of an alien planet. It's really cool to see. It's quite a hard spot, so you might need to get up higher because it'll be low on the horizon. But I love it. I think it's really cool. From now onwards, from the 18th onwards, probably before that, just a few days before, the moon's out the way. So it's a great time if you're into your deep space spotting. Get out for the next week or so. You might be able to see if you can see the comet again. And then we're jumping ahead now to the 28th. The moon has now been brightening throughout the last few days. So we're out of deep space time. And it's not going to be far from the planet Jupiter. So if you did have trouble and you couldn't find the planets, the moon is now near Jupiter. So you should be able to use that as a signpost to find the planet and then find Saturn, then move to the left towards Mars, hopefully. On the 29th, it's then Saturn's turn to have the moon next to it, so you can actually see which one's which. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it for the month. So all I can say really is, you know, clear skies and happy meteor hunting, because that was the highlight of August. And it always is. It's something we have on the show ever since we've been doing the, the Sky Guides, and yep. it's always been popular in the group. It's hit and miss as well, because although it happens every year, on its peak you're going to see more than usual like at its best. So you have got a good opportunity there. And, you know, I haven't been able to go out every year and see it. So when it does come around, I sit there and think, right, I'm going to do it this time, I'm going to do it this time. And then something always gets in the way. <laughs> so, yeah, do go out and see it because it will be cool. I'm going to try my best. And then, you know, I might talk to Will again and see if I can figure out how to take pictures with the camera. And then I can teach you all about Will's skill. <laughs> I normally ask you at this point what's coming up for UK astronomy, but it obviously sounds like you're just going to get out with the van and see what you can do. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I need to go and test it, play around with it, get all the scopes out. We're going to have a photo shoot with it, so I'm taking it to the field where I first ever had that, that experience, my first ever telescope out in a field at Emberton where I first began, just one managed scope. I've talked to the guys at Emberton Pavilion Sports and that, and they've kindly said that I'm allowed to drive the van onto their field, open it all up, get all the telescopes out. And then a friend of mine, very good photographer, Derek Pelling, is going to come along and take some nice pictures for us. And I think also he's going to get a nice picture of his family because on the back of our van is a photograph. It's like a silhouette of twilight with a, a kid looking for a telescope and I think their dad or one of our astronomers. And that's on the back of our van. And he took that photo. So the photo he took years ago of one of our events, one of our first events, is now wrapped on the back of our van. So it'd be really nice to get a picture of him and his family behind it with it there because, you know, that's what we're about. We're all about everyone who got involved and has helped us get where we are today. This is kind of like our peak, if you know what I mean. Never, never dreamt of it. So yeah, so we're going to have a really cool photo shoot with all the telescopes and bits and bobs. And yeah, it's just fiddling around with it, really, because the great guys at Shred and Butter who did the conversion, they said when we picked it up, it's not a finished product. I said, we've done what you've wanted to do with it, and we've added our own tweaks and things because they're the experts. So take away for the winter, go out there, play around with it, use it, then come back to us and say, right, 
we need this, we need this, we need this, maybe this, what about this? So it's a work in progress. So although it's there and it's ready to go and we can do events with it, we're still gonna carry on tweaking and adding to it to make it better, to make it work for us and for everyone that we, you know, show out there. So it's got power and stuff. So I'm hoping we're gonna get a projector screen on the back so we can actually do events from it. So I can do talks outside in the dark with everyone. And then we can talk and learn about the skies. So yeah, it's trial and error now. It's the fun part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming, but... Uh, We're finally it, there. It, yeah, it's paid off. Because we used to book all our uh, our vans through Enterprise. Because blessing, they did give us a discount because we were a charity. So I used to go there. I'd have to get my wife to drive me there to pick up the van the day before, drive the van back here, empty everything into the van, drive it to an event the next day, get it all out, put it all back in the van, drive it back. And, and you know some of the events didn't finish till like 12, 1 o'clock, did they? I mean, you, you've been there with us. Yeah. And by the time I've got home... I then had to unload the whole van again into the garage, get up early the next day to then drive the van back. So doing one event actually takes up three days, the day before, the actual event, and then the day after. <laughs> but we've been doing that for years, and we've, we've worked hard, we've plowed for it, everyone, like all the astronomers that have helped us, and now I can give a bit back, because now I can just jump in the van, take everything with me in like five minutes if that, to all the girls and boys and all our astronomers and it will have everything they need in it everything it's got all the power they need all the bits they need any eyepieces I like to stop then because I started welling up sorry for <laughs> if I speak now I'm going to end up crying I don't want to do that that's how much it means to me anyway so thank you Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, it's absolutely fantastic having you back on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, and hopefully, many more months and years of astronomy fun and chats with you it's always a good laugh and it's always good to get out with you guys and do stuff and um unfortunately we haven't had that this year so far so no but it's, it's starting to happen again and i'm hoping as i said with the van that you'll be able to come down and see it and have pictures and have a little interview or something about it and give us your thoughts on the podcast of it yeah definitely so i'm not sure what's happening with the podcast for this month hopefully we're going to get another episode out before the end of the month it all depends on what's happening with the projects i'm working on and whether mr burger is available well that leaves us with one thing left to say and that is thanks for listening stay safe one and all and we'll speak to you all again real soon keep looking up in wonder and clear skies well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. 
If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. Thank you.